before we get into this week's episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, I've got a little favour to ask. It's the end of the year and that means it's time for the Pod Bible magazine listener polls for 2022. And I'd be really grateful if you could vote for my podcast in the independent category. Obviously, it's lovely when I get nominated or win awards because I put a lot of time and effort and care into making this podcast. But the main reason I would like your vote is because I believe that one of the best ways to raise awareness around mental health and to normalise the type of conversations that I'm having is to break out of the regular mental health spaces. And the Pod Bible listener polls have categories for film and comedy and lifestyle and entertainment and all that stuff, but that's not what I do. And I think this is a great opportunity to get this podcast and the subject of mental health into a different demographic of listener. And then maybe it can reach someone who really needs to hear it, but doesn't yet know that it exists. It's also really cool that these awards have a section that is exclusively for independent podcasts because let's face it us indies tend to get passed over by the big boys and girls and it would just be awesome to shine a bit of a light on what I'm doing and hopefully like I say that way it can help a few more people there's a link in the episode notes it's really easy and you don't have to vote in all the categories if you don't want to you can skip to the last one and just type proper mental into the box there's no need to sign up or to log on or do any of that stuff all in all it takes about a minute it's just a few taps on your phone screen and it would really mean a lot to me if you could take the time to help me out voting closes on december the 31st at midnight but don't wait till then go in the episode notes find the link click it now. Thank you very much for listening. Now that's out of the way, let's crack on with this week's episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 112 of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Tanya Marwaha, who is the CEO and founder of Championing Youth Minds. And they provide free online resources to schools, parents and young people to help them to understand what mental health is, what mental health problems are and what they can do about them. And Tanya has struggled with her own mental health issues from a young age. She also lives with physical health issues and chronic pain. And obviously these things massively impact her mental well-being. But it wasn't until she was at university during the pandemic when she saw so many people around her struggling. And not just struggling, but not knowing what they were struggling with and not knowing what to do about it. She realised how flawed the educational system is and how it doesn't teach young people about their mental health and how to look after it. And that's why she started Champion Youth Mind. She created a platform to give young people a voice so that anyone who uses it can educate themselves on mental health and mental well-being and they can share their experiences with other people. And that's what we talk about in this episode. We talk about the hows and the whats and the wheres, where the idea came from and how she set about setting it all up and what she hopes to do with it in the future. We talk about her own lived experience with mental health issues and with physical disability. We talk about young people and some of the challenges that young people face. We talk about going to university during the pandemic. And Tanya is South Asian, and we talk a lot about the South Asian community and how that community views mental health and how it can become complicated when you mix in religion and superstition and different generations within that community. And we also talk about the lack of diversity in the wider mental health conversation and how it's important for everyone to feel like they have a voice. And it's a really lovely episode. Tanya is incredible. She has such a good understanding of not just her own mental health, but of the mental health conversation. And she's really doing amazing things. And I would highly recommend if there is a young person in your life that you make them aware of championing youth minds because they might not need it now, but they might one day. And if they know about it now, then it will be there for them if they ever do need it. Hopefully they won't. But chances are, as with they journey through life, if they don't need it, someone in their peer group will, someone in their friendship group will. And like Tanya discovered, the educational system doesn't really give much focus to mental health. It doesn't prepare the young people in today's society for what they might have to deal with when it comes to mental health. So all the links for Tanya, all the links for Champion Youth Minds, all in the episode notes. Go and check them out. I love doing these chats with people who are setting up charities or support groups or organisations. It always fills me with so much hope and so much inspiration to know that these people are out there doing 
wonderful things in their local communities. I think it's just, it's really powerful and it's really useful for people to know about. I love championing youth minds because it's young people advocating for young people's mental health. We talk about that a lot in this conversation and I think that's really important. The people who are best placed to understand young people and what they're going through is young people. And it just kind of proves it in this conversation, right? Because I'm 41 and I don't consider myself an old person, but I'm well aware that I'm not a young person anymore. Certainly to people in Tanya's age group and to people at university, I'm ancient, right? And even when me and Tanya were talking, she mentions a couple of social media platforms that young people are using to spread information and to connect and to build communities around. And I'm pretty up on the social media stuff. You know, I know my way around Instagram, but Tanya was talking about TikTok, which I just can't get my head around. And she was talking about another platform that I'd never even heard of before. And that just goes to show, right, that no matter how much we want to support young people and we want to we want to help them, you know, we want to look after them, we want to be there for them. But ultimately, the people who are best placed to advocate for young people's mental health is young people. And you could probably apply that to every single demographic of society. But hey, that's a topic that's much too big to be discussed in an intro. Go and check out what Tanya's up to. It's wonderful. Like I said before, all the links are in the episode notes. Go and check out what Tanya is up to. Go and check out Championing Youth Minds. Other charities that I've spoken to that you might be interested in after listening to this episode. I've spoke to Kirsty Eaton from Reach Out for Mental Health. I've spoke to Gavin and Ben from Talk Club. I've spoken to the guys from Andy's Man Club. Uh, Nikki Clark from My Black Dog. Jake Mills from The Hub of Hope. I'm sure there's others that I'm doing a massive disservice to by not remembering right now on the spot, but have a look through the back catalogue. There's loads. And if you could take two minutes to review this episode, any of those episodes, any episode you want, very much appreciated. Anyway, this is episode 112 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Tanya Mawaha from Championing Youth Minds. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Tanya Mawaha. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm very, very good. Um, It's lovely to meet you, mate. We've been kind of like Insta friends for a little while. So um, yeah, it's very (laughs) nice to to meet you in person. Yeah, no, finally we managed to get around to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It sounds like you're having a a busy morning, mate. Did you finish um, university in the summer? Is that right? Yeah, so I finished in June and then started work in September. So yeah, been quite busy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So that's still quite, still quite new, really. That, um, yeah, that you're into into that world. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of your work does center around like the student student experience, right? And the stuff that yeah. you're doing with with Champion Youth Minds. Yeah. Oh, mate. So I suppose before we get there, let's rewind a little bit, mate. When does your um, when does your your reasons for being involved in the world of mental health? When does that all start for you, mate? How does that begin? So. To be honest, I think it started from around the age of 12, 13. So when I was around 12, 13 years old, um, at home, we went through this quite like long period of bereavement. So we had a lot of family members pass away from my father's side of the family. And I think that was my first time ever dealing with grief. Um, dealing, even when I'm saying that, is the wrong word, because I think I didn't deal with it. And I think that was kind of the root of the problem. Um, and that's when I really started to struggle with my mental well-being and my mental health. But at the time, I didn't know. I didn't realise that I wasn't aware of it. Um, And then a few months later, I started developing physical health symptoms. So I started developing kind of chronic pain, um, which for that age is very abnormal. I went to the doctors a few times. They kind of told me, you know, my mum was there and they were like, oh, she's probably doing it for attention or, you know, it's just growing pain that she'll grow out of it. And then I think the kind of what really impacted my mental health was that I was like 13 years old and I was dealing with pain for no reason whatsoever. And it's not really something that many children really deal with so that was difficult and then you know going through all the kind of teenage years everything that comes with that and there's so many things that you kind of struggle with mentally Um, and then for the next kind of like six seven years I was dealing with progressive chronic pain chronic fatigue so it just progressively got worse Um, and I didn't have any diagnosis for it or anything Um, and to be honest my journey with the doctors was very bad as well Um, you know repeatedly being told that you know because it's not visible there's nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing we can say about it. I remember once the most like kind of striking experience to me was that I took time off of 
college I went I took both my parents they took time off work I took them to see the musculoskeletal specialist the appointment I'd be waiting for around like six months for um and he was already running late for his appointment I was like it's fine you know I've been waiting for this appointment for ages um and within 10 minutes that appointment was done and what he did was he basically touched the top of my neck and my shoulders and was like oh are you doing the A-levels right now and I was like yeah I'm in my first year of college and he was like well there you go that's it it's stressed you're stressed you know you just just stretch a little bit do some yoga and you'll be fine and for me that was just so damaging mentally it's kind of like no one believes you and I'm really lucky that my parents tried their best to believe me it is difficult if you can't see something to be able to understand what you can't see um and then when I was in my second year of university I got diagnosed with um Ellis-Samo syndrome which is connective tissue disorder and fibromyalgia which is chronic widespread pain and this kind of is where it links back to the bereavement that happened when I was 12 13 years old is that um so with fibromyalgia and Ellis-Danlos syndrome it's not very clear-cut as to how it forms and why it forms but trauma is one of the biggest reasons like stress mental stress which manifests into physical symptoms um, and kind of when I reflect back on that period of my life I think perhaps maybe had I have dealt with that grief and that mental stress better would it have not manifested into, into physical symptoms um so that's kind of how I just fell into it um and then just kind of hitting a point where I was like I have two paths that I can take I can either continually kind of deteriorate with both my physical and my mental health I can continue feeling suicidal and having these thoughts or I can try and take all of this negative experience into a positive thing and kind of power forward and try and help other people because I'm probably not the only one um yeah that's how that ended up me being here today yeah yeah I this um wow there's loads there right to talk about there's a lot jumping out of me but I mean if we if we roll back to the whole grief thing right and I kind of think like because um because grief is this kind of in theory normal thing that we're all going to have to experience at some time I don't think we pay it enough attention you know I don't think as a society it's very it's all about kind of um like getting past it as quick as possible just so life can get back to normal and I think we're never really like there's no guides for dealing with grief right we kind of know what to do for different things that you know that happen to us but there's nothing for grief we're not you know there's no there's no I don't know common techniques there's no we all have to process in our in our different ways and I think that's a that's a big part of the conversation I think that's that doesn't often get talked about really is grief yeah I mean immediately something that pops out to me is that um since that experience of grief I've had to experience grief in so many different ways since then the biggest one that I've struggled with has been the grief of knowing that my life is different than what it would have been had I have not developed these health conditions so one of the biggest things I think I struggled with mentally during those years especially without diagnosis is I remember when I was at school I couldn't do the PE lesson so I would be sitting on the side of my uniform and everyone else would be in their PE kit doing sports and I think for me it was that grief of I'm not going to be able to live the exact same life as my peers and there's certain things that I just physically can't do um and kind of dealing with that loss of life that you haven't even fully lived yet but you've always thought about and you've always imagined so it's interesting how like you said grief is such a common thing and everyone deals with it yet you never learn how to deal with it and it comes in so many different forms and I think even just how hard it was for me to I mean, I still am kind of, to some extent, grieving that life that I wanted to live. Is that what, how different would it have been if someone had just taught you kind of better ways to grieve and ways which won't be as constructive? There's not right way or a wrong way, but there's better ways. Yeah. And there's kind of more harmful ways to grieve. Yeah, very much so, right? Very much so. And yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? This, it is, it does seem to be about getting past it as quick as possible to just like carry on mm-hmm. with life but life can't carry on because it'll never be the same again like that's kind of you know that's a big part of what the grief is in the first place but yeah it's um it's interesting as well and yeah we normally associate grief with someone passing but yeah we can massively grieve those big life changes you know i had something similar after i was poorly and i kind of like i didn't want to be 
you know, I, I didn't want to be, it was that simple. And it, and it always was like a grieving for, for, yeah, for the old me and for the life that I thought I was going to have and the, my life that I thought it was. And um, kind of similar to what you were saying there, I think it doesn't have, grief doesn't have to be solely about someone passing away, does it? Anything that's, mm-hmm. that's sad and that is taken away from us is, um, is, is going to have the same response. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, th- something else that was really jumped out to me then as well when you were talking is that obviously a lot of the the mental health work that you do is sort of young people being there for young people and supporting young people and I think that's so important for young people to have someone to advocate for them because your experience when going to a medical professional who's supposed to help you was to say something to say something like you know oh it must be growing pains or that's so patronizing right that's so patronizing and you like of course yes you might be a young person but that doesn't mean that everything is for attention or for growing pains and or you know like it's that's tough isn't it that's tough when your interaction with people that are older than you is like a really patronizing negative experience yeah I think specifically as well so I'm from the South Asian community my parents are originally or my dad's originally from India my mom was born here um kind of that disparity between generations is even greater so for example kind of they could just not grasp the concept and I don't think some family members can grasp the concept still that someone who's young can be ill that they can be chronically ill I think it's kind of this misconception of like you have to be a certain type of person of a certain age uh, of a certain lifestyle to deal with certain things and I think that's applicable for both physical and mental health is you kind of we have these stereotypes that if people don't fit in them then we just immediately dismiss that and I think the thing with medical professionals is not enough young people talk about their experiences because it's so easy to get in your own head and blame yourself And I think we need more young people to talk about kind of their experiences with medical professionals because there's so many things that people get dismissed for. And I mean, just a recent example is my my sister's at university. One of her classmates recently went to the doctors about uh, breathlessness. And the doctor said, you know, you're so young, there's probably nothing, you know, just just go home and rest. And unfortunately, a few days later, she passed away because she had a clot in her lung. So had the GP just taken it a little bit more seriously, that could have saved a life potentially. So it's just the gravity of things of, you know, I think it's kind of this conception of when you're young, you're kind of in education, you know, you have family support. You don't really have like the big world things to worry about, like a job or like a mortgage or family and children. But it doesn't mean that the worries you have as a young person aren't valid. Yeah, completely. Because like worrying about something is, it's all relative, like the size of it or the scope compared to someone else's experience. The only thing that's important is your experience, right? Or the person experiencing the experience. And and yeah, and it's too easy to write that off by saying it's not, you know, it's not this. So then surely it's nothing, but you know, there's no, no scale to this stuff. Right. And I, something I always think, cause I, my kids are small. And um, something I hear a lot is, um, you know, people will say stuff like, oh, but, you know, when kids at that age, they're so resilient, you know, so young people are so resilient. And you think, well, yeah, well, kind of, yes, but why should they have to be? That's my question is like, just because like young people have, you know, yeah, maybe they do have the, you know, a different level of support and maybe they do have these things going on that are really positive. But just because you can be resilient doesn't mean you should have to be right. Resilience, that type of resilience is kind of emergencies only, I think. So how was that? Um, like, how did you begin to start to take care of your mental health and to balance, you know, to balance out the, um, the physical health stuff as well? How did you start to put all that to, together and start to kind of thrive with it? You know, it sounds like you made a very conscious decision to be proactive and to take control of your situation. What did that, what did that look like for you? In all honesty, it took, I think, myself to hit rock bottom multiple times to be able to even realize the importance of my mental health and I think that's why I think it's so important and that's why I talk about it that young people should be taught the importance of looking after their mental health from a younger age so they don't have to hit rock bottom to be able to figure it out like I did um I mean it's not easy to be able to suddenly care about something that you've never really paid attention to your entire life like that's just the reality of it right if I've never cared about how I'm feeling or what my thoughts are then it's going to take time to build that habit and I think it's like you said it's about making that conscious effort of you know if I want to 
feel in control of these thoughts or if I want to feel in control of how I'm feeling day to day then I need to start making small changes like talking about it talking about it was one of the biggest things I remember now when I think about it the first initial conversations I had with my parents about how I was feeling were very defensive quite dramatic in nature not in a negative way but you know crying kind of like it's that process of being vulnerable and making yourself vulnerable for the first time is an experience I'll never forget because it's like ingrained in my memory but then taking that after taking that big step all those small steps just kind of fell into place naturally and I think when we talk about when we say to people you know you should talk about it it's a very easy thing to say and we don't really talk about all the small things that go into that you know feeling comfortable finding someone you feel comfortable to talk about it in your mind you're thinking about all the possible reactions that person could have and what kind of path that conversation could take you're then thinking about you know will they judge me based off of that information with with that conversation actually yield any results that are worthwhile I think as a society we have this mindset of let's do things if we know there's going to be a good result or if it's going to be productive in nature but the truth of it is when it comes to talking about your mental health you might not see any immediate results straight away but it's kind of that gradual process you need to take and I think for me kind of doing that was really difficult and there was times where I was really skeptical about it like I don't think me talking to my parents was going to do anything but it did and it took me to do that multiple times and then really just educating myself about what mental health is because I mean sometimes I hear people use phrases of like oh this person has mental health and I just think we all have mental health we all have physical health so we all have mental health so it's just about that educational piece and I mean I'll put my hands up and say that I had some quite bad stereotypes and like misconceptions about mental health and individuals who I thought might be more susceptible to mental health conditions so it's about kind of educating yourself during that journey and there's so much more that I need to educate myself on but kind of just being open-minded to it is a big a big step to take and I think also the last thing I think what really hit me hard was that there's no like five steps I can follow and then from then on my mental health be great it's always going to have its ups and downs and it's always going to need that constant attention which is why you need to build in you need to build it into like a habit a daily habit a weekly habit um it's not as clear-cut as kind of you know a journey then you reach the destination and that's it it's a constant journey throughout your life so it's an amazing journey to go on and you learn so much about yourself and other people as well like when you speak to people you know you're able to understand their behavior better you're being able to be more compassionate toward them but I just I cannot emphasize enough is that all this information all these things I'm talking about young people need to hear this at a younger age and they all need to hear it because for example me saying this now maybe a few young people will hear it but it doesn't mean everyone will hear it and it's just I mean I spoke to so many young people before starting championing youth minds and they kind of spoke about that how the first time they came across mental health was either through their own experiences and their own experiences were googling I feel like this why do I feel like this or through social media um, and I'm, I think social media has some great benefits it also has its more harmful side but it, the first touch point about mental health education should be in the classroom by in a trusted safe space for young people to be able to explore that not kind of out in the big scary world where there's so much misinformation out there yeah yeah definitely sort of like if we're learning to all these other tools to get us through life then surely this is just as an essential tool isn't it to learn to to talk about these things and what something that I, I found really interesting what you're saying there is like that that term mental health and how we've come to use it and it, and it's so true, isn't it? And as much as it's, it's amazing that so many more people are talking about mental health and it's like much more accepted than it was even like two or three or four years ago, but yeah, it's almost like the more people talking now, now we really have to concentrate on getting the words right. Cause it's like you said, you know, if people talk and struggling with, you know, people's, oh, they've got mental health. Yeah. What does that, what does that even mean? And, um, I sometimes hear people use it to describe being, you know, sad or, you know, something like that. And you think, well, no, you're like, you're a human being, you're supposed to be sad. There will be times when you're sad, like emotions aren't 
mental health your mental health is your emotions right but mm-hmm. you're you're not am i am i i'm not yeah. sure i articulated that well but you get what i'm saying right but um yeah we can kind of put everything down to mental health and some of this stuff we're supposed to feel we're supposed to have to to go through and we're supposed to have to figure it out but we can kind of like wave this mental health flag and you know we need to kind of just lean into the language a little bit i think to kind of get that right but you know if we're having these lessons like you say from a young age people are going to have those words aren't they rather than work rather than learning on the job like you say in the in the scary big bad world well let's go let's go through uni tanya because i'm really interested in that right so you've got um because something that i found when you know when i kind of like found some way of 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 living with myself and getting better and stuff like that i became a little bit fearful of change and of big things happening to me i kind of held myself back for a long time because i was like well if i commit to this project what if i get poorly again you know what if the what if the wheels come off and that must have been a really big decision for you you know with like all this stuff that you had going on and you're trying to figure it out and you're working it out with your parents and all the rest of it and then like this opportunity comes and you think right i want to go to university was that that must have been quite a big step right to um for you to to kind of to go for that with having all this stuff that you were juggling yeah i mean i'm I was the exact same change was really scary and I kind of liked being in my own bubble of having security of it's bad but at least it's constant rather than it getting worse and it having to change um I mean I remember my my mental health was really bad just summer before starting uni I remember I was struggling with my eating and I was eating on maybe like one meal a day I was pretty much just stuck on in my bed because my back hurt that badly and um my parents just kind of looked at me and were like are you sure you want to move out and go to university and I was like well I'm going to be a failure if I give up give this up because I've got this chance you know I'm going to be behind my entire year group if I take a year out um and it's bad anyways it's going to be bad every day so what is me taking a year out going to change um and then when I went there it was kind of I was I'd say I was drilling in the same narrative to myself of like it's going to be bad every day. So like, I'd rather it just be the same than take up new opportunities. Do I really want to go out and meet new people? Do I want to try different things? Because I'd rather just stay in my own bubble. And I think it's kind of just like, we don't really talk about change from a young age. We kind of just have to deal with change and then build our own kind of perception of what change is like. So some people really enjoy change, but some people really hate change. And I think the reason why we're so fearful of it is because it's a new experience and we don't know the results of it I think we kind of like that security and just that entire experience I mean I I found myself once I completed first year I found myself thinking that I had two options the the first option was to just carry on with uni and just deal with it or the second option was was to take a radical approach and drop out or defer the year I felt like there was nothing in between I think with change, we kind of see stuff as like black or white. There's a one way to do it and there's another way to do it. And it's really scary and there's a right way and there's a wrong way. But with change, it could be a small change. It could be kind of like a long-term change. It could be a short-term change. It could be a big change. It could be a small change. I just think there's so much more to the word of the word change and the concept of change that you kind of only learn through experience. And I think it goes back to the same point is like before going to university are you told about kind of what it's going to be like you don't have you don't hear from any young people to say oh I'm at university and this is kind of what my journey was like or oh I just finished university and this is what my journey was like you hear it from people who went to university like 30 40 years ago when university was pretty much either free or like you only paid three thousand pound a year and um only a certain kind of category of society were going to university and they had this set traditional career path but what about listening to the young people who are going to university you know during the pandemic or going to university when social media is such a big thing and everyone's on social media 24 7 like there's so many different things that aren't taken into account when we talk about these big things I think that's why the change feels so scary because we're going off of an we're kind of copy and pasting a very old out of date version of something into a completely different context and then expecting it to make sense if that makes sense i hope that does. <laughs> it does it makes a lot of sense yeah it makes a lot of things i always think like about the the student experience i mean i didn't have that experience it's not something i did but i always think that it kind of gets written off like the challenges of that anyway right so even if you haven't got any stuff going on 
And I always think back to whenever I speak to anyone who's like going to uni or if that's a new thing, I always think back to when like my mates went to uni, we all finished school and everyone did whatever they did. And like a few of my mates went to uni and uh, one of my mates, he went up to Middlesbrough and we went to visit him like a month or so after, uh, after he went up, we went on a train, you know, like boys weekend and all that. And we got to this house he was staying in. He was staying with like 10 strangers. It was an absolute tip. It was freezing and uh, like he was just in this like tiny room. And I remember um, being sat in the room waiting for like the boys to come back in or something. They were sat on my own. I was just kind of look, look, looking around this room with like really rubbish furniture. And it was all just like cold and beige and horrible. And I remember thinking, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. You know, like I was like, I was living at home. I had it quite cushy. Do you know what I mean? Like probably my mum was still doing me tea and all that. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember, I remember thinking like, yeah, I couldn't, I wouldn't be brave enough. I remember thinking how brave my friend was. And I, th- I don't think that with the university experience, I don't think that's accounted for what a big deal it is leaving home and going to set up somewhere new with people you don't know. And then and that's with even before the academic pressure starts or the financial pressure starts, but it's a big deal leaving home and, and starting up, I think. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, yeah, we're very, we're very good as a society of normalizing things and kind of everything's very comparative, right? So like me picking my stuff up and moving to London an hour and a half away isn't as big of a step or as brave of a step as someone who's an international student who's picking up their stuff and moving to a different country and then someone who's an international student um there's always going to be someone who's taking a bigger step I think we see things so comparatively that we undermine our own experiences and that's how we get in this cycle of it's not that bad you know it could be worse or um it's something everyone does so I shouldn't be struggling with it and I think it's just that narrative that we tell ourselves is something that's really damaging and something that you kind of have to work through to be able to rewrite that but it's it's so difficult because I mean we live in a world where like we we're so quick to glamorize things and we're so quick to normalize things so you that human experience and that unique experience everyone has gets lost in translation because we box people into okay all students all students going to university are going to have this experience but what about all the nuances between that, the in different individuals, you know, where they're from, their life experiences, their personality, kind of how they deal with things, their life experiences. That one thing that really was shocking to me when I went to university was just like the difference in self-awareness between people based off of what they had experienced in life. So I remember I had one of my best friends, we were just having this conversation about bereavement and they were like, oh, but I've never lost anyone. So like, I have no idea what that'd be like. And then for me, I was like, oh, well, I can't conceptualize that because I've known that from a very young age so I feel like it's just those small differences no one really talks about is that every student is going to have a completely different experience you could be doing the exact same thing as someone else but you could be feeling and thinking just completely different things it's quite mind-blowing when you think about it and it's like why do we not just talk about it in terms of the individual why do we have to talk about it in terms of like a group of people yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like we've normalized the wrong bit, right? Normalized the talking about it rather than the uh, the experience itself. Yeah. Were you at uni through the um, pandemic, Tanya? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about that because that's um, that's really really interesting to me because that. So what year would you have been in going into into that? Yeah. So I started university in September 2019, and then I was there for around three months. Um, December 2019 is when COVID first began in China and then March 2020 was when lockdown happened in the UK so I was in student halls from September till March and then I went back home mid-March so and then second year was all in so the rest of first year was all online second year I went to back to university in student halls for three months and then I got sent back home again and then third year was hybrid. So I was living out in halls, but to be honest, I was back and forth because I didn't need to be there. Yeah, that sounds challenging. That sounds like, um, you know, because, you know, we talk about this experience and it's individual. And, you know, once you make up your mind to go and have this experience, whatever that's going to look like for you. And then it's almost like it's, uh, yeah, it's, well, that's not how anyone thought it was going to play out, right? There's so much, um, I suppose, of the things you expect to get from going to uni that that you won't get when it's operating like that. How was your mental health through that, through that period, Tanya? How did you, um, did you cope with that all right? 
Yeah, I mean, um, when we talk about this COVID generation, which is us, um, we're all grieving this experience of, for example, uni that we thought we were going to have. People say university is the best three or four years of your life. You go out clubbing all the time, but like we didn't really have that. We had that for like three, four months, then we didn't have it for the rest of the time. So it goes back to the grieving thing. We're then grieving this experience we thought we were going to have. And then you're stuck in this position where, you know, you feel like, oh, everyone else had this experience. I didn't have it. If I want to try again at it, I have to do another degree or I have to do a master's. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to be thrown into this world of work, which everyone says is you're going to be working for the next 40, 50 years of your life. You know, then everything changes. So it is quite like damaging to your mental well-being. And I mean, um, so many people, like so many of my peers, they just completely changed once lockdown happened. Um, the amount of relationships and friendships I saw just kind of fall apart. And reasons behind it was kind of like, you know, this person's acting differently. They don't reach out anymore. They're really like rude when they speak. They're kind of to themselves. So they don't, they don't make that effort anymore. Or, you know, I can't see them in person. So we don't really talk anymore. It's all those things that we kind of take for granted before COVID because we didn't think there would ever be a time where we couldn't be able to do those things and um, and that's kind of like where I started to reflect more because I had friends reaching out to me who had known that I was quite vocal already about how I struggled with both my physical and mental health growing up so they kind of saw me as that person who like probably had some insight into it so I would get like messages from friends of like you know I'm just feeling down can we talk and they would just say how they never dealt with kind of loneliness or isolation. They'd always be able to do whatever they want or they just felt down for some reason and they don't know why. And I remember one friend said to me, oh, I'm feeling depressed. And I was like, stop. You're using the word depressed. Now actually break that down to me. How do you feel? And in reality, they weren't feeling depressed. They were just feeling down. But it was the small things of like not knowing how to recognize your emotions not knowing how to kind of break them down, understand where it's coming from, but then also the misuse of language as well, you know, assuming you're depressed when you're actually feeling a normal human emotion, which is feeling down or sad. Yeah. Sometimes I suppose we miss those when everything goes online and we don't, we're not mixing with people. A lot of big of it was a big part of it was missing like the, the little social cues, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. like the little uh, interactive feeling people's energy and talking to people and, and stuff like that. It makes a, makes a big difference. You can see why relationships, um, you know, fell apart and drifted away and stuff like that. Was it around then that the idea for champion youth minds came from, how did you kind of stumble up with the, uh, with the need for that Tanya? Yeah, I think it, it definitely started from there. So I was at home for like, like around a month and my mental health was struggling because I was like, I can't see anyone. I don't know how my newly formed friendships are going to develop if I'm not around people. Um, also just like not knowing when you could go back. So like I remember with our friends, we had made plans to go back in June because we thought that it was all going to be over by June. Little did we know it wasn't. Then we had made plans in summer. Summer didn't happen. Then we made plans for the year, the following year, thinking it was going to be normal. So it's just kind of just not knowing the end date, I guess, which we still don't know because it's still going on. Um, and it was just kind of the repeated conversations with different friends, like them kind of reaching out and saying they feel a certain way, but they don't know how to deal with it. And I, I felt like I was giving everyone the same kind of like advice around like kind of trying to make time to reflect and be self-aware, to be able to understand kind of where this is coming from. And then working towards like, you know, try journaling every day, try, you know, some mindfulness or meditation if you can. Um, and then I just kind of thought, you know, I've had the same conversation like 20 times in the last few weeks. Like, why is this happening? Um, and then I just thought back to like school and just everything that's happened growing up. And like, was there a point where I was taught about mental health or do I just know it? And that's when I realized that the reason I just know it is because I struggled when I was going through that period of time without a diagnosis and I was doing counseling, I was doing CBT therapy and that's where I got to know it. But for everyone else who didn't have that experience, was there any point of their life where they were introduced to it? And that's when I kind of just like mass surveyed everyone at LSE at university. And I was just like, you tell me about it. Like, where did you learn about mental health if you feel like you learned about it? And that's when loads of people were like, oh, yeah, thinking about it. Like, I don't remember learning about it at school. I remember having one PSAT lesson, which was about kind of like people with severe mental health disorders. 
um, and how they live because they're slightly separate from society. And I just always thought that I'm not that type of person. It's never going to happen to me. And I was just like, well, that's kind of stupid that in our mainstream education, we don't have anything around mental health, right? We all have mental health and we're all going to experience situations where we're struggling to deal with certain emotions or certain thoughts or just the change going on around us. Because I mean, at this time of the pandemic, the whole catalyst for it was change, the change that people didn't expect and the change that necessarily wasn't positive. Um, so it just kind of started and I was like, you know, maybe I could just use my time to make some like positive Canva posts and post them on Instagram. And I spoke to my local council and I was like, oh yeah, if I just spent my time creating like some kind of positive leaflets to put through doors, like, would you be able to help me get them printed out? And um, for whatever political reason, they were like, no, like we won't. Um, but you can make them if you want. So I was like, you know what? I'll just make them myself. And then I just started the Instagram page and I was like, you know, how good would it be to scroll through Instagram, especially during the time of COVID where no one's really posting anything because no one's doing anything and just replacing it with like well-being tips. So like, for example, you know, how to get started on journaling or like reflective questions you could ask yourself or you know, things you could do whilst you're at home and you can't go out to just like give yourself that time to do something you enjoy or to try something new. And then a few students reached out and they were like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I also have experiences I want to share. And it just kind of grew from there. And I think it kind of feels like a blur now when I think back to it. But it's all just about kind of having young people at the forefront of the conversation because you do have young people who use their platforms well but they're kind of like in pockets and you only see them if you're exposed to it. But there's not like a group of young people or organisation of young people who are doing this based off of their lived experiences and trying to empower other young people. Because I did my research and there's loads of like children and young people's mental health organisations out there. But when you dive into their team, their team is all of an older generation of a certain demographic. And I was immediately thinking, well, how would you know what it feels like to study during COVID? Because you're not studying during COVID. How would you know what it's like to live with social media if you don't use social media in the same way? You know, if you're not on TikTok, if you're not on Be Real, how would you know what that's all about? Um, and then also from a kind of a background point of view as well, is that there's a lack of ethnic diversity in the mental health space. Um, and there's a lack of acknowledgement of the intersectionality of identity as well. So immediately for me, being South Asian, that's completely different. Mental health is something we do not talk about at all. There's so many links between religion and superstitions, which I mean, I can go into is quite interesting stories. Um, no one talks about it. And then on top of that, being disabled and South Asian, there's just so many different intersectionalities we don't talk about. And why do we not just have a space where you have young people all, from all these different backgrounds talking about mental health in the way that it what it means to them because mental health means different things to everyone right so we should just kind of instead of boxing people into a definition and thinking you can talk about mental health because it means this to you but it's not really relevant to you just kind of opening the space for everyone to use their voice yeah yeah definitely because it is such it is so individual isn't it you know what people go through and people's struggles and and to have a representation there and to be able to see yourself in it so as, as the as the base layer as a young person to hear from other young people I think that's so so powerful I always think the quickest way to get young people to disengage is get an old person to tell them what to do right that's just the quickest way and that's yeah. the that's how it's supposed to be and that's how it has always been through time and how it always will be you know so to have people there that that look like you or look like your friends or you know like that's so 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 important and it's really really empowering because I think it makes people um maybe sort of look to or read about people who are slightly further ahead in the journey of understanding this stuff or the journey of recovery and thinking well look where that person is you know and that mm -hmm. person's the same as me you know we're the we're the same we're growing up at the same time we're interested in the same things we're having the same life experiences to some extent and like if they can get there so can i if they can understand this stuff so can i and that's really really um really really important yeah i love that mate it sounds like a really cool like resource that you've um that you've created yeah it sounds brilliant thank you yeah. yeah I mean just even like what you said there it's just like I've had so many I've spoken to so many South Asian young people who are like oh but will my parents ever understand and I'm like they do because mine understand me and my parents talk about it all the time you know they come to a point where they talk about their own mental health to me so it's like we, you can get there I think it's just being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel like 
when people say you know post quotes like it's okay to be okay like things do get better it's like but then put a put an experience behind that put someone behind that who can who you can relate to and you can see the similarities to and who can actually say you know this is kind of how it went but things do get better or this is what things look like you know, a year down the line or kind of I think yeah. it's just about like putting hope to it but like in a relatable sense if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely I suppose all those like sayings you know it's okay to be not okay and I, I get where it comes from right I can I, I and I get it. it you know it does make sense but that stuff to some extent has become a bit throwaway now hasn't it it's just something you see and you scroll past it and you know it might have a nice pretty background or whatever and you know it might be eye-catching but it doesn't mean anything it doesn't grab you and and like like someone's experience does you know it doesn't drag you into the to the story to learn yeah you mentioned um you know, like your, your heritage and being a, um, mm-hmm. from the South Asian community and the, it always, like you say, that conversation isn't happening enough about how to pe- people from different communities, how their backgrounds and how the like older generations take to this stuff. And so were you, when you took it to your parents, were you expecting them to kind of, you know, know about this stuff? Like how much were you aware of the, um, the extra stigma around your community when you started talking about this stuff? I think I always knew that there was certain topics that it just not to talk about, or like if you were to bring them up, you'd kind of be messing, playing with fire basically. Um, so I only took it to my parents when I felt like I had no other option or like when I, I mean, the examples of when it came up were kind of like, I was irritable, got an argument with one of my parents and then them kind of being like why are you feeling like that? why are you acting like this because this isn't what you're acting like and then you know you just have this whole like dramatic moment of like crying and screaming and kind of like that right so it didn't come out by choice it came out by force um and I'm lucky that my parents are very open-minded for the community that we're from um, like my dad was born and brought up in India, but he very quickly adopted a very like kind of open mindset and liberal mindset when he came to the UK. But not everyone's parents are like that. Like I know some people's parents who are born and brought up in the UK, but still are very traditional in their thinking. Um, and I mean, there's just so many layers to it. It's just things we don't talk about. You know, firstly, when we shouldn't be talking about them because it's just, there's not even a reason behind it. We just shouldn't be talking about them. And then secondly, it's kind of, the the way we talk about mental health in the UK the focus on it the fact that we have this mental health space where there's people talking and posting about it that doesn't really exist in other countries like it doesn't exist in India if there is a community talking about mental health it's so so small in the grand scheme of things um like for example I know that my dad comes across this guy's videos on Facebook who um lives in north of India in Punjab and he will um, support homeless people who are homeless due to their mental health condition. So they live with mental health conditions and that's how they lost their job and ended up homeless. And the comments you see under those videos are just absolutely appalling. Um, And it goes back to the fact that people assume that if you're struggling with your mental health, you need to be crazy. You need to be, you're going to end up homeless. You're going to end up without a job. You're going to be completely disheveled in in appearance you're going to not have showered in x amount of days um and even just like bollywood is gone completely international but i mean the way they portray mental health in bollywood films is still the you're in an asylum you're absolutely crazy you know you need people to physically restrain you that's kind of what we grew up with and that's kind of still what's portrayed in i mean i would like to say bollywood progressed and they've started talking about these topics but it needs to be an entire cultural shift and then on top of that, the layer of religion as well is a completely different one. So um, naturally, kind of like in my community, people are very superstitious. So small things like don't walk under a ladder or if you have a black cat cross your path and it's something, something's going to be bad. Um, a lot of reading into like horoscopes and astrology. And um, I remember that like the kind of first port of call for my parents after the doctors was the priest because the doctors weren't helping the doctors weren't giving any information so you know what would the priest say you know he can take my birth time my birth location he can make a chart out of it is there anything in there which like explains this um and then I, I mean at that point of time I used to have really bad insomnia um so it was kind of like you know some planet was misaligned and that's why I'm having this but by this date it will be over I mean I do I I believe in astrology but just that 
take on it I don't agree with so I mean at one point in my life I was um keeping an upside down shoe by my head whilst I slept I had my head facing north I had a bowl of water by my head which every morning I had to dispose by a tree really far away um and that was meant to kind of resolve my problems uh long story short it didn't because <laughs> that's not the way it works um but it just goes to show like I think in our community we see kind of a problem and we want an immediate solution to it and we want to see results um and that's kind of been translated in when it comes to mental and physical health so you'll hear about like remedies remedies being you do you donate a certain amount of food or you donate a certain amount of money and by that your problems will be your problems will disappear I mean I remember my dad once went to a temple and donated food in in the quantity of my weight so like at the time however much I weighed like that amount of food um I wear this necklace which has like an emerald stone in it um so it's a gold necklace an emerald stone and that was meant to kind of resolve my problems uh, I like it so I wear it now I don't think it's resolved any problem but it just goes to show like there's so much that people who aren't within the community or don't have that background won't ever know that goes on in these conversations so when we're talking about mental health in the South Asian community you've got so many more things to consider you're considering the religious aspect of it you know what superstition is going to come from it how are people going to think you're absolutely crazy are people going to start blaming your parents that they didn't bring you up properly and they made a mistake there um I think that's one thing I really worried about and wanted to protect my parents from it was that I know they wouldn't doubt their upbringing but what about the people back home in India would they then think that my parents you know didn't bring me up properly so it's just small things like that and I think it just goes to show that we can't have people from one background talking about mental health because it's just never going to be representative for everyone. So right now, I think the mental health space in the UK is great, but it's serving a large proportion of people, but there's people that it's missing through the gaps and they're slipping through the gaps. And it's like, how are we working to amplify voices of individuals within the community who are representing different communities, different backgrounds, you know, for example, like immigrants, like, children from immigrant parents have a completely different experience of financial beliefs and financial well-being and also kind of what mental health means to them so I think one thing I always heard was like so my parents had a very challenging childhood and then my dad had a challenging childhood and he moved to the UK from India so it's kind of always like but they had life so difficult so why are you struggling you know you have food on the table you have an education we didn't have an education we had to go out and work from a young age we had to look after our parents so there's just so many kind of layers to a person and how that might impact their mental health and impact them speaking up about their mental health and getting support for it um and I think we just need to be a more mindful about these conversations we're having who are having who's having these conversations and what experiences do they have and like I, I truly believe there's always space for other people and there's always space for more um so let's kind of like you know make that space for people to join in the conversation offer their perspective yeah definitely because everything everyone's got something valid to say haven't they and the more yeah. the more different voices that can be added to the conversation then the more people that are going to be reached by the uh by the conversation you know but that, that's fascinating I suppose as well what can be really tricky is um, when it comes to like aspects of your culture that you might think, you know, that you don't necessarily believe are going to help you in these situations. But then there's so much aspects of your culture that are really important to you and they're who you are. And they're, do you know what I mean? And they're like, they're a massive part of your life. That's very, very special. And I suppose that must be really hard to talk up about this stuff when there is like a part of it that you kind of think, well, that isn't going to help me with my mental health struggles, but all of this is still like a really important part of of, of who I am and what I'm about. And it means a lot to me. And I, that, that, that kind of must be challenging to be able to say, look, I still love all of this stuff. I just don't mm -hmm. think that's, I just need something a little bit different to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it probably sounds quite weird for people who don't experience it and don't know kind of what I'm talking about, but like, even though, um, so like, for example, when, when I'm thinking about future relationships, so for example, when I'm thinking about life partner, I'm thinking not just about them and their opinion, I'm thinking about their family's opinion. So obviously I'm going to want someone who's open-minded about mental health, open to talk about it, tries to make the effort to understand the work I'm doing and why I do it. 
they might be great and all they might tick all the boxes but what about their parents what about if their parents don't agree what if their aunties and uncles don't agree what if their grandparents don't agree what if their wider family back home in India doesn't agree what if they actually are all their families in the UK but they still don't they're still like they don't understand so it's like there's just so many things about like I think in our culture we we very much think about other people which is a great thing you know we're quite selfless we're always thinking about others but then there's that aspect to it is that we're thinking about what other people would think you know um I wouldn't just kind of be like you know what I don't care about your family like whatever it would genuinely cause a problem if other people didn't agree so it's those small things and it's like there's you you you're proud of your culture you're not going to change who you are but you can't also change how other people understand topics like mental health you know for them it's very taboo and it's really uncomfortable there's so many reasons why they're not wrong in that um and it's also like you only can understand things as far as you've tried to understand things if that makes sense so it's kind of like if they weren't given that education they're not going to know if they weren't they never got given the space to be vulnerable and understand their emotions they're not going to know um so it's even though we're so many generations down the line and as a community we've progressed so much there's always still going to be those obstacles that perhaps other communities don't have to deal with and overcome and I think that's why when it comes to seeking mental health support having therapists and counsellors from that diverse background helps so much because I remember so many times I've had um, counselling and I've never had someone from a similar community and when I've spoken about kind of like seeking support from community or family or kind of how my work ties in with everything they're just never able to understand and it kind of becomes into this oh it's my responsibility to now teach you which isn't a problem at all but I'm you know we have an hour I'd like for that hour to be about like you know working through things not like half an hour of it is me educating you the background and context and then you can respond and so I think just like that diversity within you know when you when you're for example, like mental health conferences are great, but like when you're looking at the speaker lineup, is your speaker lineup actually diverse? You might have a diverse diversity in mental health experiences, but do you have a diversity in kind of what that person looks like, where they're from? You know, all those extra added layers because you're always going to miss parts of the society if you don't have that. So I think definitely food for thought within the mental health space and something I'm trying to be as vocal about as possible but you don't want to discredit the progress we're making and the progress we've made but just trying to kind of stretch that further as to like what more can we be doing you know what more can we be showing people as possible because I think it's all about you know you believe in what you can see so like if you see someone from your same background who's had similar trouble standing up on stage and saying you know I dealt with all of this and here I am then you're going to believe it a lot more than if you see someone who hasn't dealt with that um but is up there saying that things are possible yeah yeah definitely I love that mate and I think it's so important to to talk about because it's not easy to talk about right and -hmm. I think particularly with any of what I call the big conversations mental health is one of them but you know when we're talking about race when we're talking about gender when we're talking about sexual identity all these big things and I think sometimes people are so scared of like getting something wrong Mm -hmm. that they don't say anything at all and if we don't say anything at all then um then nothing changes at all, right? So we just just being able to to just come out and just talk about it, and yeah, and you know, there's a lot of things you're saying there, and I was like trying to, I was putting it in perspective of this of this podcast, and I was thinking, yeah, like mm-hmm. I do, I do want to be um, inclusive. I do want to represent as many different people as possible. Am I doing enough? Do you know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. and then you start thinking like, well, hang on a minute. Yes, I'd like to do more in that respect, but also I don't want to. Um, I don't want to get you on just because you're South Asian and say, speak to me about all British Indian people, <laughs> you know, because then that's kind of going the opposite way. Right. So, yeah, it's really um, it's really interesting. You give me a lot of food for thought there. That's uh, that's fantastic. So just to kind of take us home, mate, because I'm conscious of your time, but Champion Youth Minds. So um, how's that operating now? So there's like the website people can go to get this information and the social media. And have you, you got anything else coming up or running alongside that? Or how does that all work if people want to um, put, find out more and if people want to like get something from what you're doing? Yeah, so with Champion Youth Minds, we have a website which has free downloadable resources for anyone to be able to access. We also have a directory of um, services, apps, 
books, um, anything that can kind of support you if you are looking for something for your mental well-being. Um, we are also looking for volunteers, actually. So uh, as I've started full-time work, I can't really do everything the way I was doing it before. So if you're a young person, kind of passionate about mental health or just trying to familiarise yourself a little bit more with what it's all about, like we're, we're, we're here with open arms waiting for any type of volunteers. And when I say volunteer, I literally mean like half an hour, an hour a week or however often you can do it, you know, whether that's creating content, you know, which we can post on our social medias, whether it means kind of like just strategy behind, at the end of the day, we're young people, we don't have any experience of running an organisation at all. So we're all on this journey of learning different things as well. Whether you're kind of looking to vamp up your CV and you need some work experience, you know, just, just come along, just reach out. We're on Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. You also have the website. We're kind of trying to be everywhere that we can be. Um, we're in the process of designing a toolkit which will kind of update that directory but also kind of give you some space where you can access lots of different resources when it comes to your mental well-being um, and we're trying to work with as many different organizations as well so if you're an organization who might be listening to this and you need some youth representation or you're interested in getting some young people's voices to be heard then please do get in contact we're quite fluid with what we're doing because I think we appreciate that trends change all the time and you know TikTok is such a big thing be real has been big recently so young people adapt the way in which they want to access content um I think when we started it Instagram was really popular I think Instagram's starting to kind of go down a little bit so just yeah trying to keep up with everything that us young people are doing so hopefully if you're interested please do get in contact yeah I mean that just reiterates the important for for young people to be involved right because it's you mm-hmm. know you know it's it's that's yeah, that's the they're the people who know about this stuff. And you you mentioned just quickly, um, you mentioned there about you know not having experience with like running these organisations and stuff. And I think that's the beauty of it because I mm-hmm. think when when you are kind of learning as you go and experimentation and all that, I think that's where the real the real magical things. You know, that's where you find that that one key that that opens different doors. You know, so yeah, it's a wonderful thing. I love what you're doing, mate. Is um for me personally, I was well past being called a young person when I when my mental health collapsed, but the <laughs> the um all the stuff that led to that collapse that definitely started when I, when I was a young person, you know, and if there had been resources like yours around when I was younger, then, you know, maybe things wouldn't have played out how they did. So yeah, I think it's wonderful. I think it's really important. And um, thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the space to have this conversation. Oh, mate, it was lovely. Thank you very much. A big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.